of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 546. Jason Lingren is with me. And for the first time, we have the ceiling fan man. Uh, we're going to be covering a topic that is near and dear to my heart crystals, gems, this kind of thing. I have always been interested in them, but over the past few years, I took a serious interest and began to collect as I could. As people know, these things can get quite expensive. So I modestly began to get crystals with the intent of re-imprinting my house in a more positive manner. Uh, From my point of view, I think I have succeeded. I did a number of things to include audio, frequency ideas, organ. I've done a number of things. And it's arguable, isn't it? What I accept is effective. Another person might come along and say, you're out of your damn mind. (laughs) So there it is. But with that, we're going to jump in. Welcome, Jason. Uh, And a much cooler good morning. Yeah, it got cold in a hurry, didn't it? We were in the low 40s. But anyhow, let's let's get this road on the show. Welcome, ceiling fan man. Oh, hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, nice to meet you, Crow. I was told not to try to roll the R's because I had problems in Spanish, so I won't say I can't crow. And hi, Jason. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I, I'm not sure there's any intentional Spanish crossover there. It, it was always just basically a play on my uh, on my birth name, and we all know what gets done with that. Anyhow, can you tell folks how they can get a hold of you and where they can find your work, please? Yes. So I I have a YouTube channel, and right now, last few years, I've been doing a Friday night show. It's a 6 p.m. West Coast. And uh, in addition to that, I'm on Rockfin. And then also you can reach me by email, ceilingfanman2020 at gmail.com. That's where I, because we're starting some other projects. I'm looking into doing a podcast uh, in addition to my show. And then also my wife makes all kinds of natural soaps and products, so. A lot of people are getting into that, uh, making things, and that's a that's a step in the right direction. Well, I'm getting messaged by show uh, by by Rose that says uh, you've got the best Friday night show on the internet. Anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> um, can you Thanks, can you Rose. explain to folks why you're called Ceiling Fan Man? It, it cracked me up when I first saw your your image because I got it right away. But tell folks why you use that name. Well, I started this process of uh, awakening, whatever you want to call it. And I started, someone had mentioned that when you look at satellites, uh, all you get are cartoons when you put into a satellite in space image. And so I started researching them and I ended up finding this program, the series that uh, the United States or NASA did in the 70s. And it was the Mariner series. I think it was like six, seven, eight, and then they ended it with nine. And when I started doing research on them, they started all looking very odd to me. And I went on to a a show and they were discussing things. And I was telling them the research I was doing on this. And uh, I was asked, what was the uh, any other questions or uh, statements I had? And I said, well, as I look at it now, it looks like a ceiling fan. And so that's why they started calling me that. But if you look at the Mariner 9 uh, ceiling fan (laughs) satellite, it, that's exactly what it looks like. In fact, there's this picture that I use as my image that has the NASA thing in the corner. And it used to be right when you turned on, like, say, Wikipedia was the front page. And it shows this satellite flying around Mars, and it still has a light chain. Like, it wasn't even Photoshopped out. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I just started seeing all the lies of the world and where we live. And a whole bunch of things happened in those last, I'd say, five years. Started around, I'd say, 20 17 it's when i started really uh, awakening to all of it you know and you all you all you and jason helped with um a lot of the lies of the world because uh listen to your episodes on nuclear weapons and and a lot of those things in the time and so uh, thank you i'm glad that i was able to thank you right now <laughs> well we we've got a new uh thing out there to fool the world right now happening in the Middle East, don't we? And whatever Mm -hmm. happens there uh, will echo out and there will be uh, all kinds of terrible things leveraged off it in this country. Just wait. Oh, all the synagogues are in trouble or who knows what it will be, but it will be something. But to get back to the satellite things, when I first announced that satellites do not exist as described, choosing my language carefully, it caused me quite a bit of trouble. A lot of people had a problem with that. 
the interesting thing, and I guess we'll finish this up quick so we can get over to what we're supposed to be talking about, was when I first started doing this, Google was reporting between something like 20 and 30,000 satellites, and that included an unknown number of broken ones. That quickly began to diminish uh, all the way down to, I don't know what it is now, not too long ago, it was like 1,000 or 1,200. And during the course of that, there was also a period where they went to the little cube satellites that are like a foot by a foot cube that Mm -hmm. you couldn't possibly see. But the track record uh, of satellites has been scrubbed mostly offline as they went. But there were a lot of people unhappy with me announcing that satellites did not exist as described. And I finally said a very simple thing. You think one of the magical astronauts in the ISS might stick an HD cell phone out the window and uh, film thousands of these things magically doing what they're doing, but there is no real videos we know. But anyhow, let's let's get into why we arrived here today. Let's discuss crystals and gemstones. By the way, what is the difference between a crystal and gemstone? I've never really thought about that. How does something get categorized as more valuable than just maybe a standard crystal and start to be called a gemstone? Well, that's going to be, again, with promotion, distribution. It's going to be with rarity or the assumption of rarity. And so when you look at all all gemstones are crystals, but some of them we put more value to than others. And a lot of those traditions go back, you know, way back to uh, many ancient cultures. And so that's that's the interesting thing when it comes to gemstones. What makes this one more valuable than other? Like De Beers, they have successfully made it so that diamonds are such a rarity that they control most of the market. And they used to say that they would control it in in the uh, best interest, so it would keep the prices stable. And then really the only place they would go through them, or then they found some in Russia that they weren't in control of, but supposedly. But regardless, it's when you start talking to people that live in some of these places, they find diamonds on beaches and stuff washed up. So once again, it's this lie, I believe, about scarcity and how they're formed. And so I'm not sure where the audience that listens to Crow is anymore as far as where they believe we are. But for me, I don't believe I'm flying through space on a spherical object at the speeds that NASA tells us to. Uh, I believe that we're a stationary Earth there's some depth to it. I don't know the exact shape, but it's circular. And we're covered in a, in the firmament dome. I, this is my belief. And so you have two options when you look at diamonds. Diamonds, they say, came from outer space, Big Bang, or they say they were formed at the molten core or blasted through, through these uh, rocks called kimberlite. And they blast through and they form. They don't form a volcano. It's a weird volcano. It blows up and then forms a cone indent and then the diamonds drop back into it and then it's interesting when you find out they say diamonds uh form it was a uh, 3.3 billion years ago you know their favorite numbers and so i came from a position of of uh studying gems i was an appraiser i did my ga courses back in the 80s uh diamonds and gemstones and identification and so i had like had 30 years plus experience in this. And then in the last, say, 10 years, when I've been waking up to all these things, none of the stories seem to make sense anymore, that it takes this many billions of years. The newest diamond, they say, I believe, is still over 50 million years old. And I don't buy into any of those numbers anymore. I don't believe in that that whole dating system that they have. Are you still with me? <laughs> I, I am. And I think you've hit on a couple of Big things. Now, I have done research on De Beers, and it is my point of view that they basically monopolized most of diamond production. And think about this. They inserted into our minds the value because diamonds are a dime a dozen in actuality in the world. That's not, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some stones, of course, that are very rare and one of a kind or the size of them. But the main point is the number of diamonds that they have control of would make them almost no value at all. They've even done things like used the most popular movies in the world, like James Bond, Diamonds Are Forever, to insert the ideas of how valuable we're supposed to think they are. 
But to get back to the point, I appreciate your candor on how do we get these things? I mean, Jason, no better than I didn't Superman Jason show us how <laughs> diamonds are formed. Didn't he grab a piece of carbon and squeeze it real hard yeah, and turn Superman it into three. a diamond? Cause that's yeah. what I was told in school. But here's the thing in the oldest kind of esoteric writings that I've got my hands on, there was always this nod to eras, ages, you know, and among that was how life formed. And I accept it currently until I have more information, maybe, or maybe I will always accept it. From my point of view, first life was crystals or the mineral kingdom, and then came plants. And within plants, you find the mineral kingdom literally in them. Then came animals. Within animals, you find the previous two kingdoms. But to me, it feels like if that is correct, part of the lie being told here is they don't want you to know that crystals are a life form. I mean, do you agree with that? They grow. And if what I have laid down is true, that they are the first and most stationary form of life, do you accept the idea that crystals are basically alive? Yeah, the, uh, we, we're very uh, connected on, on some of the points, obviously, because, again, biblically, it starts, God creates heaven and earth. I believe that the earth is obviously a living thing. Things grow on it, and it's alive. The water's alive, everything. But you can take something away from the earth, and is it still you know living is that crystal still growing in your hand or on your finger it stopped it was growing when it was attached to the living earth but then i think it's been separated so does it still have those properties to do things what i find interesting on diamonds just to 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 finish off the point of how i don't believe in how they say they're found the whole idea of diamonds they say it's uh there's somewhere between I think it's like uh, 120 and 200 kilometers, which means nothing here in the United States. We don't remember metric anyway, but uh, somewhere around 75 to 120 miles. Now, as you all know, we've only gone down eight miles. So once again, now you're just guessing. You're giving me theories. They don't know how the diamonds get out because they say there had to have been some kind of pressure and heat to form the diamonds. They're found in a rock called kimberlite. And something had to form that, and they don't know if the diamonds come from the kimberlite or if they're just attached to it. Then they don't know what caused the explosion to cause the the a non-volcano. They don't know if all those were separate events or one event. And so with all these questions, and they know nothing, all they did is they went around, they dug in this, this hole, and they found diamonds. And from that, they told us this entire story that goes back 3.3 billion years ago. And so that's why I'm saying I'm throwing, I think it's all nonsense. I'm trying to get to the truth of that. So if you take that away, then how are diamonds formed? What event possibly could have caused these crystals? Because uh, make no mistake about it, they're known as the king of gems because they're the only gemstone that's 100% one element, pure carbon. That's why you can, Superman can supposedly take the piece of coal and squeeze it. And another interesting thing, people talk about carbon spots when I was uh, doing this a long time ago. There is no such thing because anything that's carbon is the diamond. So it would be something non-carbon. They used to call them imperfections, but nobody wanted to hear that. So now they're called inclusions. You know, We add a little garbage into your stone. And so what's happened is you've got a, a gemstone that I believe, yes, they're beautiful, but oh my God, there's so many more colored stones that are way prettier than that. And right? <laughs> have, right? And have more powers and so forth. But De Beers pushed this thing. I mean, they were so good at it. If you've have you heard about opals and in their bad luck? Have you heard those stories? I, I have, but you're making yeah. a killer point. Would you, if someone put an opal in your hand and a diamond, which one would be more interesting? If you knew nothing about nothing, wouldn't that opal draw your attention mm -hmm. infinitely more than a diamond? And what's interesting about that is we go back to the same villain. So you look into the folklore of, of opal and how it got its bad luck story. It goes back. There's supposedly some book. And in the story, the woman wore a, an opal uh, pendant and it changed with her moods and she she had magical powers. And I think a drop of holy water spilled on it and it it uh, it turned to clear or something. And then she died and so everyone freaked out. But as you it was one of those novels that comes out like every whatever week or every periodical, I guess. And it turns out at the end of the story, it, no, she died of poison, not anything to do with the stone, but it was already started. And then guess who the villain jumps in? De Beers. 
They jump on the bandwagon and they push the story and they're the ones that send all these things. If unless it's given to you, it's not it's bad luck unless it's your birthstone because it cut into their uh, their diamond market. Is that- <laughs> well, they, they've even invented things that have become part of the cultural vernacular, like diamonds are a girl's best friend. Was yeah. one I remember when I was, but look what they've done in the West. When we get married, what do you do? When you get married, you get a diamond, right? And yeah. you're you're judged by society on the size, or you used to be. Of oh that no, diamond. you know what they did in nineteen around the eighties or so? They started this: is two months' salary too much to ask? So they already told <laughs> you how much you need to spend. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. You know, I had told my wife. What actually happened with my wife is we were given a ring that was a family heirloom because all my grandparents were passed away. But I had told my wife, I love sapphires. And, you know, if we do this and we make the contract, I would like to get a sapphire. And I did end up and I used to like the little star sapphires, too. I just judge it by how beautiful it is to me. But the thing about diamonds is they really kind of are special because they're so hard. As a matter of fact, when I spent years and years fascinated by the ancient teachings that had come from India, apparently from probably well before history was ever a thing or the history that we have now, uh, and it gets into Tibet, they would use the idea of a diamond in indestructible things like a thing called a Vajra. And uh, it became like a metaphor for your mind that you could reach you know, indestructible levels or piercing levels, ideas like this. And it was reckoned over to the diamond, but I'm reasonably sure they can make synthetic diamonds now. And I'm reasonably sure that they've gotten so good at it. It's difficult to tell them apart. Is any of that true? Oh yeah. They, they started doing, uh, I think GE was the company that started it doing synthetic diamonds in the uh, seventies. They were getting successful, but most of the diamond production at that time, they did for industrial uses. Like you say, there's two scales. There's the toughness scale and the hardness scale. And diamond's really at top of both of them. You can't cleave a diamond and chip it and break it. But as far as the hardness, it's called the Mohs scale. And it goes one to 10. And anything that is the a higher number or the same number can scratch itself or scratch anything lower than itself. And so that's why a lot of people, when they used to see, oh, I'll prove it's not a diamond or it is a diamond. I'll scratch glass. Well, grass, grass, <laughs> glass scratches itself. And so that wasn't a proof. But diamond is a 10. The only thing that can scratch it is another diamond. And the same with, he said, sapphire. That's one of my favorites. Sapphire, ruby, there are nine. So they're right next to diamond as far as that toughness scale. So it is a really good everyday type of wearing stone for, for an engagement ring as a diamond alternative. How in the heck did they, you know, back in the day, how did they shape a diamond? You know, if you think about it, it's the hardest thing. So it's, you know, to shape it unless you're cleaving it. But I'm reasonably sure that they've been shaping diamonds to antiquity. Am I wrong? How did they do it? It's fascinating because I got to see it. uh, I was blessed enough to go see the areas where they do this. And they take diamond dust, grit, and they embed it into a spinning wheel. And then they'll take the diamond and they'll put it on the end of this. um, It's like a long stick, like it's called a lop. And the guy sits there and he has the jeweler's loop or some type of magnification. And he takes the diamond and at the end of this stick and the wheel is spinning because it's uh, electronic, but they could do it originally, you know, different ways, uh, foot and things to spin this wheel. And they, force the diamond down onto it and it grinds it until you get the facet. And then they look at it with their loop. And if they're happy, they move to the next facet done by hand. In fact, I think you have to be an apprentice for, I believe they said at least 10 years. I I was going to say 12. Yeah. I'd heard 12 years before you can do a large diamond, like half carat or up. It's amazing skill. It's like that, that blows my mind watching people put the facet, but how the hell do they get the diamond dust back in the day? How did they crush the diamond down to dust? Well, you know, the, the diamond is very tough, but it's not indestructible. So you can you can smash it and get it to where you're going to grind it down to where you can get that. I'm certain of that. And the thing is, is nowadays, of course, now we use uh, uh, machinery for everything, right? And computers. And I saw this machine. It was fascinating. So it takes a rough crystal 
And diamonds come in, you know, a few different forms, but take the rough crystal and they set it into a little uh, box, almost like a, a light box that you'd use for photography. And it comes up on a computer screen and it shows that it has uh, cameras all around. It, so it has like a 3D image of it. And then the computer will show you if you cut this, you can get this many round stones, this many uh, pear shapes, hard shape, whatever you're looking for, or the most you can get out of that gem. And so once you decide what you want and you enter it in, there's a laser that goes around. And there you go again to do the lasers. Like we had a laser welder at my store when I had a long time ago and it had a red like ruby crystal in it. You know, so it depends on the colors too. And the laser goes around this thing. It's in circles it. it keeps doing circles around it. And as it's going down, it's, it's lasering off. They look like toenails, pieces of the diamond. In fact, I, I was able to keep some and they look like you clipped your toenails with a red laser. Yeah. And so this thing goes down and it, and it makes the basic shape. And then guess what happens? You take that, you give it to that whole guy and he puts it on the wheel and does it by hand. They still have to do the final faceting and think about what you just said, because back in the day, everything you just said had to be calculated in a human mind. And, you know, aren't there faults? You know, I've I, I watched. Yes this process because it's fascinated me and you always see the old white haired guy uh, with the loop in his eye or looking through a <laughs> you know, magnifying glass. And you're thinking you see the end product and it looks like a machine, you know, like a CNC machine. It, it's amazing that a human hand can be so precise, but the point is, isn't there faults and things that they can blow it. Like if you're doing oh, yeah. a really big stone, you could make a mistake and ruin it. Right. A hundred percent. In fact, when they find like those giant ones, say like the Cullinan and so forth, when someone has to make that initial cleave, I mean, you, <laughs> you have to have a steady hand and know what you're doing. And hopefully you calculate it correctly or you could have a map. How do they cleave it with like a chisel or something? Yeah. They just whack yeah. it with a hammer. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's modern technology. I'm sure there's all kinds of ways they're doing it now that I'm not you know, necessarily familiar with. But yeah, it was still the hammer and, and kind of chisel thing. And say a little prayer. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You know, <laughs> some cartel is uh, placing a value on all that. But is it true? So when they make the synthetic diamonds, are they doing it by pressure? And is it true that they use ash from like humans and animals to do it? All right. So we got a few subjects there. We'll go into the synthetics. So as far as the synthetic diamond goes, uh, I think we did touch on it. Uh, started They started with the industrial stuff and now they're making diamonds. The synthetic diamonds that they grow today, they have gotten it down to such a precision. They can get them done very quickly. I think within a year or less, I don't even know, probably faster now. And now they've gotten so good at it, they cannot just make them with no inclusions. They can make them different clarities. And so let's say you want, because there, there's so many different types of clarity and you've got VS and VVS and SI, you can decide what you want when you're growing the crystal. You can decide the color. Although red is still, isn't this interesting? Of all the diamond colors, red is the rarest and still the hardest to uh, create in, in uh, synthetic. I thought that was interesting. Well, Fortune to St. Germain inherited a sizable red diamond uh, that's supposed to not exist, not only because of its size, but because of its color. But when you talk about clarity, what are we talking about? Is that light transmission? Is that what clarity is? Right. So when the diamond, when the light goes into it, they figured out the modern round, brilliant facets that gives you the most maximum amount of light exposure back into your eye when it, when it bounces through it. And anything that hits the light and traps it like an inclusion, some other element that was forming at the time the diamond formed is now trapped inside it. And that can lower the look and the brilliance. And so that's why, let's say you went into a discount store like Target or something or Walmart where you look at their diamonds and they don't sparkle as much as, say, other stores, unless they're synthetic. That's because the inclusion is stopping the light from going through it. But now here's the thing. De Beers has always had a stronghold on all diamonds, but now with the new generations trying to be told that diamond mining is, is so bad for the planet that we need to do the synthetics without telling them, you know, by the way, to run all these synthetic machines, the carbon footprint's even worse, but we won't go there. They can create these gemstones that are, you cannot tell the difference. When I close my store, like, oh, 
about 10 years ago, they had come out with a machine that tests some type of thermal heat into it that they could tell the difference between the grown synthetic and the natural diamond because it's the same stone. But that machine at that time was like $20,000 and nobody really had them. And when you think about a ring, let's say it's got 50 or 100 stones. Are you going to sit there and test every single ring? So there was a lot of, they call it Melly, the little diamonds that were flooding the market, mostly supposedly from India, that were already synthetic hitting the markets easily 10 years ago. And most people didn't even know it was happening. And so that's one thing that De Beers couldn't really control. So I think they still obviously control the natural diamonds, but now synthetic is the whole other thing that people are getting into. Didn't they push? I think I remember they it must have been De Beers pushing for a micro signature, trying to force people that were making synthetic ones to put a micro signature. Yes. To to and and that didn't happen, right? No. <laughs> De, De Beers didn't get its way. But wait a minute, you keep saying grown. So the synthetic diamonds are grown; they're not squished or squeezed into existence. Right. It's 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 a it's a. Again, they do it in a in a pressurized system to where they grow the crystal. And that's why I'm still questioning. So if I don't believe in all these stories that they told me how they form, there had to have been some event that would create these really. I mean, they're they're under such intense pressure because if you take carbon and it's the same thing in pencil lead, but it's very soft and brittle and you break with your fingers. But if you have the heat and the pressure, then you get the diamond crystal. It's all about the way they bond. You know, crystal structure is basically just the way that the the atoms uh, bonded in a, a repeating pattern. The uh, geometry. That's what a crystal is. Yeah. But then the diamond has a specific one that makes it all these different uh, properties. So when you, when you asked me another question about the uh, uh, growing crystals from dead uh, dead people's ashes, when that first started coming out, I started having customers asking me, and I had one gal that wanted her, it wasn't even her, her partner, it was her, it was her cat and her cat had passed away and she wanted it turned into a diamond. And so I looked into these companies at the time, I think there was only two and I got a hold of one. And when I found out what they were saying, so the process for the diamond that she got, I think she got about a, a third of a carat. Uh, maybe I'm jumping everywhere around. A carat is a measure of diamond. And that goes all the way back to uh, the original days when they were trying to um, get a balance on a scale. So they have an equal measure throughout the, the land. And there was a, a tree and it had a seed called the carob seed. And they weighed exactly the same, apparently. And so that somehow morphed into the word carrot with a C. And so the diamond, she got about a third of a carat, probably 33, third of a carat diamond. But the money she spent, she could have got an entire full carat diamond. That's how it was like triple of what that diamond should have cost. And they told her they could make it into a heart shape and it would be blue. And it took, I think, a year and a half. And so what happens is all we did was I just I said, look, I don't want to make any money off of this because I don't believe it. I told her that I don't think it's. It's real. I don't believe that they're doing this, but I'll because I started looking through the uh, whatever it was in those days, the Yelp apps and stuff, and people were, you know, really this company had lawsuits and and I think there was some news organization looking into them. But she made me do it, and we got back this diamond. It was a year and a half later. She had to send them half the money in advance, and then half when it was done. And she got this little diamond, and then I think it was about maybe five years after that that they finally went under because they were liars. So can people actually do this? I was don't it a diamond? So. Did you did yeah, you it was check? a diamond? It, it was, was a diamond. diamond. Yeah. yeah. But did it have her dead cat in it? And did they grow it? Or yeah, well, I don't get it? that. <laughs> so we're, we're told the story, you know, in, in the Superman gig, it's a bit like the old cartoon pouring the dinosaur into your gas tank, you know, the perception. Yeah, right. But we're told that carbon gets squeezed really hard to make a diamond, but you keep referring to it as grown and everyone's aware of growing crystals. And what another key that shows you they're alive is the seed crystal, which maybe we'll get into later. But the point is, oh, wait, when you say that to grow a diamond crystal, they add in a diamond seed crystal. So there you go. Right. As far as I know, that's the only way is you have to, in other words, you couldn't start from scratch, right? No. 
even though it's synthetic, if you don't have the creation to give right. you the seed, you ain't going nowhere. Right. It's that story where uh, the, the, the joke I'd say where God and somebody's the scientist and he's saying, I can do everything you do. And God forms a man from the dust of the earth. And the scientist says, okay. And he goes to do it too. And God says, wait a minute, get your own dirt. <laughs> right. Right. This is what's hidden behind the first sci-fi. Jason, didn't we decide that Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is probably the first sci-fi? Yeah. I mean, it's it's in the vicinity, but this is the point. And originally, that had the Promethean idea into it. But the point is, you're not just taking leftovers from the creation to pull off your new man. It's dead. You know, <laughs> you're, you're taking refuse, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So really, the truth is that I'm hearing nobody's really quite sure how they're synthetically doing it, or is it certainly known? Do we have doubts or is it certainly known? I have doubts. I'm sure there's all kinds of articles that tell you how to do it. But again, I've never gone to those factories and seen the process. But from what I understand, like I said, this company that said that they made this lady's diamond out of her dead animals, they grew it and it took a year and a half to do. So it wasn't a matter of sending it over to Superman saying, here, crush this. You know, they have to grow them. At least that's how they were doing it then. And so if they have to start with a diamond seed crystal, once again, they can't make creation. They can only mimic it. And they have to start with something that was alive, like you say. So you said they could control color and clarity. Doesn't that imply that whatever the seed they start with has to have those qualities? Right. But again, I'm coming from the aspect, I don't believe this company was, I mean, they obviously they went out of business. They had lawsuits against him. So they charged, you know, a hundred percent or 200% too much. So they just went out and bought something, waited a period of time, marked it up and then sold it. Yeah. And had your money for over a year. I'm telling you, that's what I believe. I He was happy as it. a lark, you know, <laughs> it goes to show the power of belief, right? As long as yeah. they're happy. Doesn't it go all the way back to the snake oil salesman? I mean, where, where do we stop? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, at least the lady got a diamond. The snake oil salesman, the only thing of value you're getting is a bottle. <laughs> this is true. But she got a diamond that was worth a third of what she paid. So did she? She, I think she got the bottle. <laughs> but she was happy. So that's, but it's just like, there's so much behind the, uh, the folklore of these stones. I don't know what to believe because before we did this, I looked up some of the synthetic ideas and I really don't know what to accept. My logical mind tells me if they can synthetically do it, they're doing it from a seed. And that logically would mean to me, if you want the most clarity or some weird color, the seed would probably need those those things. But I don't know. But- I would agree with that. And I'd also throw out there that if GE is the one that came up with it, I mean, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't think that their that their cars don't hold up that well. So maybe they're not that smart about trying to do the color unless they had it already started in the seed. You know. Well, there there was a time. You know, when we were after my mother passed away, we went through well, but basically amounting to three generations, actually four, because it was from both sides of the family of stuff in this house. And one family member wanted to chuck everything, and I began to realize I don't need this stuff. But look at it. It was made back in a time when stuff lasts. Here's a here's a freaking toaster that still works that was my grandparents, you know? And so you you can see what G I don't think people have any idea how massive GE was in this country, but yeah. they they purposefully started to build crap. There, there's a perfect story of the light bulb yeah. cartel meeting in like Bern, Switzerland or somewhere, where they all pledge that they're going to make their light bulbs into crap because they're not selling enough because they're lasting too long and anyone can go online and there's a fire department somewhere in the United States first light one of the earliest light bulbs yeah. still burning like a hundred years later but let's get into you, you want to get anything in here Jason I'm about to jump into the biblical ideas well I was curious what colors diamonds come in and what causes the colors well, it's every color of the rainbow, basically, and and it depends on the other elements. I think boron turns things blue. I don't have them all off the top of my head, but like I said, the one color that's the hardest is red for some reason. And again, there's a lot of things they still don't know about diamonds. Did you know that diamonds have a fluorescence, some of them? And some of them are so strong, the diamond in natural light will look chalky. 
But if you were to turn on a black light or go through like, say, a Disneyland line and you put your hand under it, it'll glow. And a lot of times they glow bright blue or sometimes they grow bright green. And again, when you look into the people that know diamonds that for centuries, nobody knows why. So what causes that? There's so many questions that nobody has an answer for. And we're supposed to go to them for all these expert ideas. So that's why I'm trying my best to try to decipher other ideas since theirs don't make sense and they don't know. Well, there's another thing about crystals that's always fascinated me is a lot of times it's like one place in the world. Like uh, what's an example? I just saw it's somewhere in Asia, which the whole little, like it's surrounded by places that aren't that rich, but this little town is rich, rich. And I think it's some kind of Ruby. I don't remember, but you know, these crystals seem to be found at least at this point in one geography and one geography only. Mm-hmm. And then that's the thing. There's a lot of these crystals that they only find in one area. And then there's, there's a whole series of what I call the ites. Cause we used to go to that Tucson gem show every year and uh, you'd see all kinds of gemstones you'd never heard of before. And there's this one gemstone called Moldavite and it's a, a greenish stone. And we were told that again, I don't believe this anymore, but this is what I used to believe and sell. It came from a meteorite strike and it hit this one area. I believe it's in, well, it's called the Moldav Valley and it hit that area and they don't know if it was the meteor or if it created it from the strike, whatever was on the ground there. It's kind of like a, a green glass almost. I'm aware people have argued that's part of the firmament, but go ahead. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, exactly. I've heard that now too. And like, as far as the whole chakra things and all that does, that one gal came in here in the store and she picked it up and she said it was it was feeling hot, almost like it was you know burning her hand and she had to put it down. And so I don't know about how all those different things work and how they work and if they work. But what I do know is that the stories that we were told, like I used to sell little round meteors and I had a gentleman that he had a thermal thing that could uh, measure what the uh, content minerals and so forth metals of a, of a stone were, and he put that to it and it was pretty much all mostly iron. And now I'm looking at it and it looks like, cause they again come from Russia. It looks like where you would have like metalwork. And if it got really hot and you threw it into water and it formed the slag of these little drops and they hammer them. And I think that's all they do. I think they hammer it down, make it look fun. And then they put a jump ring on it and they sell tons of them as meteorites. And so all these stories, none of them make sense to me. So I'm trying to figure it out if we ever will. The green glass thing is actually a pretty good mystery. Isn't and it? A lot of yeah, people have some really strong opinions on it. Same with obsidian. Don't they say that too? That could be a firmament piece too. Obsidian, I thought, had been shown to be near some kind of a volcanic. Aren't there modern examples of volcanic glass? Am I wrong? I don't know. I, I was under the impression that there were modern examples. But here's here's something about obsidian. Some people had pointed out that it was superior to a surgeon's scalpel. And they proved it by using an obsidian blade uh, and no scar would be left because it was the cleanest incision that could be made or something like this. And so you think back to the old times where people are making knives out of this. Uh, but let, let, let's jump in. And by the way, I'm with you. I don't accept for a second that anything is rocks or whatever are coming from so-called space. We're in a closed environment. We're basically in a snow globe as is shown in the end of uh, Citizen Kane. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 where I'm at. Can I ask you about that? What another thing? What a push to make it in our face. There's a movie, I don't know anybody that's actually watched the whole thing, and it's supposed to be the best movie ever made. And yet all we know about it is Rosebud and the uh, Snow Dome. I think it was just more of that, you know, symbolism in our face. It, it well, it's it's all of the above, and not only that. Orson Welles' whole story is like you know, <laughs> he he scares the bejesus out of the whole world and gets hauled into I don't know Congress or somewhere, and they slap him on the wrist. Where did he do it at the Mercury Theater? He was there to do what he was there to do, and he was handed a crap load of power in his like twenties. Goes on to do these things, but here's the funny thing about Citizen Kane: it was always. This is 
voted the best film. So I always thought I've got to see it. Yeah. I would watch the opening and I'd say, okay, I'm going to watch this. Cause look, that's Balboa park as part of the, they use Balboa park in San Diego as part of the castle that he's building, but I couldn't get through it all through my twenties <laughs> into my thirties. I couldn't get through it. Well, when I got older, all of a sudden everything changed. And then I began to, to see what was there and I've watched it. I don't know, two or three times now. And it is, it's, it's message delivery. And some of the messages are massive. Like all that time ago, he's already showing you what had become of the newspapers, but we're getting off target here. I want to get <laughs> into the comparison of biblical ideas uh, about gemstones versus kind of the mainstream idea. And of course, everyone's aware of Old Testament references the priests and their chest plates. I think that even made it into Indiana Jones, didn't it? Jason, is is the priest in Indiana Jones wearing 12 stones on his chest? Do you know? The the one where they do the, the Ark of the Covenant, doesn't a dude don a chest plate? Belloc's got a whole Jewish outfit on for the opening of the Ark, but as to whether there were stones on it or not, I don't actually recall. Yeah, I might misremember that. But anyhow, let's pull it back over to the ceiling fan man. What are your ideas about mainstream versus biblical ideas? Okay, well, and I do have a thing I do want to mention about diamond synthetics that I, I didn't bring up. So did you want me to say that really quick? Yeah, let's get it all in. We got all the time we want. Okay, I saw my um, my old uh, GI books, and it talks about in the late 1700s, they started doing this where they would, uh, this gentleman, J.B. Hannay, he was a Scot who claimed to have produced diamonds in the 1880s. He filled a strong iron cylinder, three quarters full, with paraffin, bone oil, and metallic lithium. And then he sealed the cylinder. He heated it for 14 hours and let it cool. And frequently they exploded and they were empty when he opened them. So that's somebody trying to do with pressure and, and heat and stuff. So again, I know that they grow them. I don't know how successful they are at this type of stuff. I just thought I'd mention that. I'm guessing we're going to see a lot of comments on a, on a subject like this. The problem for me is what the internet has become. And I'll give an example. Before we go over to the mainstream versus biblical ideas, and this is completely off topic, but it relates directly to the level of censorship. As people know, I don't surf. I don't watch a lot of clips, like almost none. If Jason and Rose or someone doesn't tell me things in the world, I'm generally oblivious. So I've been searching for a film called Little Buddha. Couldn't find it. It's not running on any of the streaming platforms. And I'm beginning to realize, and I, I there were other films like the original uh, Stepford Wives, the original Cruella DeVille, all films that for some reason are not treated like other films. They don't get into streaming rotation. They're not played on cable. They never make the listings. Well, I did find the Stepford Wives without too, too much trouble on a streaming service, although it was only one and it was obscure. And when I watched it, I began to realize because it's pointing the middle finger at Disney and the computer industry. I'm guessing that's mostly it was too close to home. But Little Buddha, I'm thinking, why would this be censored? You know, there, there's no violence. It's just basically the story of Siddhartha told in a in a family friendly way. So as I get into it, I go to Amazon and I search. There was one return for $196 for Little Buddha. Not kidding. So what I know about Amazon is when you go in and use their search engine, quite frequently, they'll only give you the returns they want you to see. But if you jump back out to Google, do a search, you'll get an Amazon return, which takes you back into Amazon, which gives you something you could not get to in the Amazon search function. So that's tied to you know tracking you and what they want you, whatever. But I became aware, which Jason and Rose said, wake up, dude, this has been going on a long time, that the DVDs have a region lock. So this film cannot be viewed in the region geographically you live on. That is the beginnings of Big Brother. And as they told me, this has been going on a long time. So finally, I go out to the internet, search back, and I do get into Amazon and find versions, but I immediately realize all of them are edited, like almost 30 minutes edited out of the film. And I'm all, why? 
So I read some of the comments and people are pointing that they love this film and they love film in general. Why would they cut this scene or that scene? And so now I'm beginning to realize there's something to this. So now I got to go to the big boys. So I go to my big boyfriends that are very skilled at computers, let's just say, who turns me on to a legit place that very few people know of. And he says, I can find it there. And I tell him the problem is that for some reason, all the ones that are available that I've been seeing are edited. I want the original unedit. Well, I get my hands on it and I finally get it. And I watched it with my wife. It is one of my favorite films because there is no violence. There is, it's just basically like a primer, a beginning primer related and metaphored into modern life about what someone starting to look into Buddhism would find, but there is no violence. There's no hatred. It's just a story driven thing. It's quite beautiful from my point of view, including how they edit it. Uh, one of my favorite films, the point I'm making here is it dawned on me. Why are they censoring this? And then it dawned on me because it's wholesome. There will come a period in time when they will not allow that out of places that are predominantly Buddhist, I'm guessing. Anyhow, I pulled us way off target to point <laughs> out, well, that that's censorship at a level that I think most people don't even think of. Most no. people think, oh, they've said something they don't want you to know, but wholesomeness is beginning to be censored. Yeah. Let's do this, my friend. Is there anything you want to get into hour one before we take a break and uh, come back to do hour two? No, I, I think we'll just slide into hour two. I have nothing really that I need to wrap up, I don't believe. Tell folks one more time where they can get a hold of you, where they can find your work. Yes. And if I've misspoke anything, a good place to let me know. Uh, my email is ceilingfanman2020 at gmail.com. And uh, if you have any questions or anything, please feel free to write to me there. I have a channel on YouTube called Ceiling Fan Man. I do a show uh, Friday nights at six West Coast time, and I'm on Rockfin. And uh, thank you for this part of the interview, and to anyone that's listening that uh, found anything interesting in it, I, I thank you. Well, Rose is apparently very impressed with your Friday night show, Jason. Anything you want to get in before I wrap up hour one and we prep up for hour two? Nope, I've really enjoyed hearing about the diamonds. Though it's quite interesting stuff. Yeah, you're a good good guest. It's an interesting conversation. So thank you so much for hour one. What we're going to do here is I'm going to wrap up hour one. We're going to take a short break and we'll come back. We'll lay down hour two. That has been hour one of episode 546 with Jason Lindgren and the Ceiling Fan Man. The first hour is free to everybody at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W 777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode. Members get access to forums to include creating new forums, comments under every episode, and they get free access to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon, which covers over half a decade of my telescope work night and day. There's some crazy footage, to say the least. With that, we're going to prep up for hour two, and I'd like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and I hope to see you logged in as a member on the other side for the full episode. There it is, man. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.